Hello, and uh, welcome back to Moke's Audio Logs. We've, uh, we have a fan going in the background, but uh, this is the summer session of Moke's Audio Logs, something different. Um, today we have... Jasper Bennett. Jasper Bennett? Who are you? Well, that's a complicated question right there. <laughs> um, I would say that I'm a pretty spontaneous guy. Uh, I think Michael had some experience with that, and... Uh, yeah, I, I do a little bit of singing on the side, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm also the same major as Michael, which you probably don't find many of those out there, so um, that's, that's one for ke- chemical Kenny, engineers yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. Woot woot. <laughs> yeah. I think there's, uh, I saw in a like, pamphlet recently, there's 127 around um, uh, like total undergraduate chemical engineers. Yeah, Wow. It's probably, it's probably going up. I mean, yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, there are, I, I don't know if there's a huge demand, I guess like for renewable energy, there's a larger demand, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So, I mean, green energy, that space is booming right now. Mm-hmm. So we, we took a class together by, uh, James Groves. Um, James Groves was a very interesting teacher. What did you think of James Groves? By the way, that for context, the class was the global context of clean energy materials. Yeah, so that was my second class that I've taken with uh, Professor Groves. So the mm-hmm. first one was Sustainable Energy Materials. Um, and that class, I, I both classes by Professor Groves, I really enjoyed. Um, I, I think that he does a really good job of putting topics that are really at the forefront of uh, what a lot of students want to learn about. Um, and just really teaching in depth about those topics and incorporating the science and math as well as the um, just contextual understanding. Um, and I think, I think he's just really allowed me to uh, kind of just dive into these topics and express what I'm thinking about them and look towards the future in terms of what's possible. Gotcha. So what was, what was your background? What is your background with environmentalism? Cause what was in, uh, were any of your, or just for quick, quick question. Were any of your family uh, members like chemical engineers or chemically oriented at all? Uh, no. Uh, my dad was a mechanical engineer um, by but, okay, trade. Okay, so en- en- engineering. I mean, yeah, but he didn't stay in it for very long. So <laughs> okay, I never gotcha. knew him when he was a mechanical engineer. And my mom was in design. So gotcha. Uh, yeah, not really. Okay. Because I really interestingly, my, my father was a chemical engineer as well. And um, he always... His argument is always, still is now, I really try and convince him because like, it's quite obvious now. But whenever I remember I was in, I think, second grade and he was like, you know, Michael, and I was talking to him about something climate change because uh, I went to a Montessori school and like they kind of talked about modern issues more, I would say. And um, <clears throat> he pulled out like, you know, Michael, if the, if the climate change scientists, if they, don't, if, if they display that there's no readings, that they don't have a job. Which is a very, very interesting take um, because I, br- I brought this up to Professor Groves and it, I, th- I think it's really interesting because w- to us, it's a no-brainer that there's a, or at least I, I think that there, or for most, most people in our day and age, there's no, it's a no-brainer that we have a climate problem and we're going to have to do something about it relatively soon and as much uh, as possible, like yeah, it, it relatively soon. I think uh, for the for the different tracks, there's uh, we went over different tracks in the class of how the world would go. I think to, in order to hit like the good, the okay track, we need to like do a lot in the next like ten or so years. I think. Yeah. Um, but what do you, how do you feel about like that that statement that like 
they have to make it if they don't have numbers and they don't get paid. Yeah, I mean, so for me coming at coming at this like looking at it from somebody who's been doing research for a little while now and I right now I'm doing an internship where I work alongside people who research for a living. Right. Um and just from that I get the sense that um these people are going to do their best to um I mean, I work with innovators, so they're trying to make a product that's going right. to uh be viable in the future, but if that product turns out to not be viable, then there's not really much you can do. So mm-hmm. they're going to stop. I mean, for the for the climate researchers, on the other hand, like these are people who have spent uh, maybe their whole careers just looking at yeah. this one problem, right? Um, and I don't think it's something where they're looking at the readings that they're taking and saying like, oh, I mean, if I was looking at this from an objective perspective, this wouldn't say anything. But since I'm a climate yeah. <laughs> scientist, it must say something. I don't think that's happening. I think... I think if they did see that, then they might be really worried about their jobs, and yeah. <laughs> maybe they would look at a, at a different different profession. But mm-hmm. um, I do think the important thing is that these people are taking these readings, and the readings are showing right, really right. not good things mm-hmm. for the planet. And whether the readings are good or bad, it's just it's up to whoever looks at them to mm-hmm. determine. And you don't have to take a climate scientist's word, but I mean, the readings yeah. are readings. So kind of more in a more general frame instead of just an environmental chemical engineering frame how 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 do you view people in whenever they're displaying a thing that is considered a truth as in whenever someone is telling you something how do you judge how do you personally judge whenever you're trying to like see if they're telling the truth or if they're kind of uh making it a little bit sound better or if it's uh not true at all how do you personally judge? What do you, what do you look at? Yeah, I think, I think for me, deep down, I guess, I feel like I'm a very like distrusting person, yeah. which sounds like really bad to no, say. No, I, I think, I think that's but, the right way to be. But if you view it from that perspective, there's, there's nothing that you can't be skeptical about, you know? Yeah. So somebody telling me like, even like how they feel, you know, like mm-hmm. that they might believe that. They might not believe that or and they might believe it and it might not be true, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think the truth really just it can change any minute, too. And when somebody's telling me something that they believe to be true, I view it as that. So it's okay. something that they believe to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as that thing actually being true, I think that's something I incorporate a lot of different things into. So whatever. I don't know if you want to call it like evidence <laughs> or whatever, but I mean. I feel like you got to take it all in. It's not something that just comes at face value. I guess that's true. Uh, so I'm going to, two two points with this. To uh, There's this guy, we'll call him uh, Justin. Justin is a very, 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 very good friend back at home, uh, if not one of my best friends. And uh, back in high school, his methodology of interacting with humans was initially trusting them a ton as soon as they, he met them, and then he'd lose trust as um as he like got to know them better versus um i i kind of see like you and you and my method uh yours and mine method of starting at low and kind of going up to higher you know so how how do you feel about like to me it was such a foreign concept whenever i heard that like he instantly trust people trusted people how do you do you think that you could instantly like trust someone whenever you initially meet them like i I feel like there's just something like uh, to me, that showed that he was kind of like a pure person. I, I don't know if pure is the right word, but it showed that like he had good faith 
And I guess I'm just someone who doesn't have good faith. How do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it all goes back to this like idea of, you know, are humans like at their core, are they like good, in, good yeah. intentioned mm-hmm. or are they perfect intentioned or are they inherently bad intention, which has obviously been debated by everyone, yeah. <laughs> philosophers for ages. Um, and I, I think it's like, I, I don't know how much it actually changes like the, the day-to-day interactions with people. Uh-huh. I think when I first meet somebody, I don't think that they have bad intentions. I think they have good yeah. intentions, but that doesn't really change like how I trust them. I think that people that I've been around for a while, um, I know them better. And people that you know better, I think just for me, it's so much easier to trust those people yeah. than people that I haven't met before. So to me, I just, I, I can't even like fathom like living like that, you know, it just doesn't yeah. make any sense to me, but mm-hmm. I could totally see somebody else um, just viewing things that way. But for me personally, I just can't, right. can't even reason that. Exactly. That, that's, that's, that's the other thing is that I just can't imagine like instantly going into uh, like trust with someone like that. But the, the other idea that, uh, or the other thought, this is, I recently, um, shout out Spencer O'Patterny. Um, he talked to me about this philosophy and I, um, I listened to, a, um, some bit of a podcast and I need to continue listening to it. Um, that is, that is an audio log moment. I have been, um, during like 1130 to 12, almost every night I've tried to like listen to like a philosophy podcast and like make bracelets with like lit candles. Jasper can see. Um, but like, it's a, it's a little strange, but it's been really peaceful and a good way to the end of the night. So good, good audio log moment. Um, but the idea and philosophy that this guy brought up was the th- thought that every single one of every single one of your like perceptions, um, he, the model that they have is sort of a, a cockpit driver in like a, a super jet. So you look, you look at the instruments you look at the world through all of the tools that you have. So that's like radar, like your headset, like your display, all your beeps and boops, right? But the thing is, and then, but on the outside of that, there's actual reality, right? Whenever you take off that headset, whenever you get out of that jet. But for us, we're born into the jet. We are born into that cockpit with all of our boops and bubbles, all of our sense, all of our sensors and different methods. So we don't really know what the actual world looks like whenever you take off those, whenever you take off that headset, whenever you get out of that plane. So whenever you are interacting with people, how do you, how do you know, how, how are you comfortable in existence, basically? What makes you have comfort? Well, uh, I'd like to add on to that model. Okay, like, I mean, okay. Like, yeah, you yeah, could yeah, probably, sure. you could probably get upgrades to these various up, up, devices in the cockpit over time yeah. too, right? Yeah, so, I mean, okay, so... How so, do sorry, I find sorry to, comfort? So, yeah, how, yeah, how do you find comfort <laughs> in existence? Sorry to lay yeah. that all on you at one so, time. So that's definitely something that I explored in depth in my later years of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I, I grew up, I lived in a bunch of different, different cities. Mm-hmm. Um, what was, but, what, what's your whole backstory? Yeah, so I was born in um, Berkeley, California. Uh-huh. Um, I lived there until I was five, so that's preschool, kindergarten. Yeah. And then I moved to um, Raleigh, North Carolina, where I went to uh, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And then I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, mm-hmm. um, where I was there until the end of seventh grade. And then I lived in Cincinnati until uh, until I came down to Charlottesville for college. Gotcha. 
yeah. So, so um, do, you, do you go back back to Cincinnati? For, yeah, um, yeah, okay. yeah. My family's in Cincinnati right now, so um, I don't know how long, how much longer <laughs> they'll be there. But gotcha. and what, what was <laughs> right the re- now? It's home, and my I have a lot of extended family there as well. So gotcha. Okay. Yeah. What What was the reasoning if you if you would like to share for the for moving around? Yeah. So I mean, I, I always get the whole uh, was your dad in the mil- parents in the military? Um, no. Um, I I think my dad is just a very curious guy, and he likes switching up his job a lot. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's probably the root cause of it. And as far as how it played out for me and just my understanding over time, um, I think it made me very good at, uh, interacting with people for the first time, mm-hmm. um, and either making friends or figuring out who I could be friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that it, it definitely, I definitely didn't have the same experience as somebody who grew up, uh, having little play dates with their friends and then staying friends with them through high school and mm-hmm. then going through distances and then yeah. coming back together. It was kind of just like, okay, here's some new friends. And then, Oh, I'm moving somewhere else now. Here's some new friends. Mm-hmm. And like, you try to stay in touch with people like when you leave. But for me, it was like, Oh, but there's these other people. And then there's all these yeah. other people. Yeah. So it's tough. Um, and how, so it seems like you've had a good bit of experience. How do you how do you weigh out those relationships? Because I've definitely struggled in finding a, a proper balance between maintaining old relationships that are, are are important and valuable to me, but also relationships that I'm building. How do you balance that? Yeah, I mean, the initial the initial thing for me has always been to prioritize relationships wherever I am at that current time. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that would be me spending, I don't know, like nine months of the year at school. Right. Or um, I would go up to camp in Maine over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the, the friends at my camp in Maine were the friends that would, like, they weren't going away because yeah. they would go back up there. And maybe one of them wouldn't come, but then the rest of them would be up there. And I knew that I wasn't going to, I knew that that wasn't like a friend, friends, they weren't friends that I was going to leave. Um, so that, that was always like, that was kind of like the one little thing that I had when I didn't have all these steady friends. Gotcha. Um, and I think that, I think that for me, I tried my best not to, um, like become friends with people that I felt like I was only becoming friends for out of desperation. Okay. Um, so you wanted to be strong in your individuality, you know, you didn't, you didn't want to be, (laughs) you you didn't want to be someone who would just be friends just to have friends. Yeah, you I, I think for me, friends. I think for me, I, I feel like I tried to do that at some points. Mm-hmm. It's just like for it's hard for me to do that, and because it's hard, there was like friction there, and then it right just it doesn't work out. Yeah, I don't know. Something or other would come up, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I don't. That doesn't. That guy doesn't seem like a great dude. <laughs> I don't really want to hang out with him anymore." And then, so um, so would you would you define kind of like one of your core identities as an as an individual? Mm. Like, is are you is that like for just for different people, being individualistic isn't as important as other things, like being being maybe popular or being sociable. Mm-hmm. Is being an individual a high priority for you? I wouldn't say being an individual, but more just like this whole the whole concept of honesty I yeah. find so intriguing. Okay. Um just there's there's a few different kinds of honesty. Mm-hmm. Um one of them is honesty to other people, which is telling other people exactly what you what you right what you're thinking or what you believe and then there's also honesty to yourself which to me I think is the most important form of honesty and I think that's what's like carried me that's like what always has carried me through life is just knowing that 
lying to yourself is like the worst form of deceit that you could possibly ever do. Mm. And knowing what you believe and what you want overall is just so important. And I, I do think that in itself has been like really helpful for me just over the years and gotcha. even till today <laughs> to, to experience like to, how, how do you, how do you make sure that you're speaking your own truth and making sure that you are, you know, your own truth? How do you know, how do you know what's right in your life? Cause I oftentimes haven't get incredible trouble knowing what I want to do. So little, I guess I'm doing more audio logs than I have. By the way, I haven't explained this to you, but the, the concept of the podcast was originally to um, like talk about, have a basic conversation and interject little moments about my life. Um, so this is, I've done that a little bit more than I have in the previous episodes, but I guess we're getting back on track to the original purpose of the podcast. Good, I'm happy but, to indulge. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I play this, I play this wonderful game called Sable. Uh, um, it's basically like, uh, this girl called Sable is your playable character. There's no action, no violence. You just climb and explore basically something called her gliding, which is her growing up. And um, in one of the moments, um, I would say this, this, this is a little bit, uh, it's, it's fun. It's a little bit philosophical, has beautiful graphics. I'll show you afterwards. I extremely highly recommend to anyone look up the Sable trailer. Love that game to death. I would love talking about it with anyone. Um, so just text me if you're interested in playing a game like Zelda, but without any action. But the point is, is at one moment you find um, someone called a fabulist. Uh, I had to look up this word. It's just a, a person who makes fables. And they basically like gave you a little interview with like questions that didn't matter to the actual game. But I kind of liked it as personal questions. And one of the one of the questions was, why are you, what do you, what is the meaning of the gliding and uh the gli the gliding is basically you leaving your home and exploring and it's basically like growing up going to college is what i've related it to and um there's two options no number one is to basically to pursue freedom or to find meaning and i was kind of i was kind of thinking uh, that they they're kind of very much intertwined but you have to choose one and i didn't know what my real truth was I couldn't I tried to think it through I think I ended up uh choosing meaning um but how would you in that situation find what your truth was because I oftentimes have very heavy tr trouble with finding that truth well I think that's a tough question for you <laughs> but <clears throat> I think that I think that freedom is incredibly important to yeah just I think that's really important to being honest to yourself. But on the other hand, I do think that like every every human being just desires meaning. Mm -hmm. And and uh, for I I kind of okay, disagree. Maybe with not that. every human. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but for me, I think that meaning is just like one of one of the end goals of life. You know, um, I think I I often like toyed with this idea like okay, like I'm a human being on this earth mm -hmm. in 20,000 years. Nobody's ever going to know that I existed or, right. um, and nobody's going to, nobody's going to care. Right. Running through the classic right? questions. Like, right? do I, I want to be loved and even, or even people, even people who have a really high degree of influence in it's like today's time. Like, mm -hmm. um, you look at the Bill Gates, the mm -hmm. Elon Musk someday, yeah, someday not. those people probably aren't going to matter either. Right. right. 
it's just like the scale of time is so 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 large um and i think that finding meaning for yourself is just like a core driver of what we do as humans and i think that i'd probably if i had to choose between the two of those i would choose meaning right um and freedom something i feel like i have right now yeah i agree whereas meaning is something i feel like i'm trying to strive towards so fair so but back to kind of the the core idea how do you how do you know whenever you've competing ideas how do you decide how, how what is what is your do you have a, do you have any metric or system of thinking for how you decide for what your personal truth is because i know that i may i may want to be different things i may want to be the kid who wears watches and then i also don't want to be the kid who wears watches because he looks like he's 40 and uh, he might have a 40 year old haircut right now. Um, but besides that, uh, like h- how do you personally go through decisions? And you, you look like Zuckerberg from the social network. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. Um, basically I would say that I don't judge my feeling in the current moment for my feeling that will always be true. So, hmm. Something that I might think in the given moment or might evaluate to be the correct decision, just because I'm, I feel like I'm being honest to myself in that moment doesn't mean that that's the same idea that I'll hold like forever, you know? So, so like, how do you, how can you I'm tell? I'm just like constantly reevaluating, but okay, how can right. I tell yeah. given like what a is, decision what is, between two things? Oh, well, no, no, no. I mean like, how can you tell what your like long time truth is versus a temporary truth? You know, I don't. I wouldn't say that I necessarily is it, think is it about just it a judgment like that. I just don't, like just a snap snap decision. I mean, I I would just say like personally, like just my, my like long term truth. Like I don't I don't really think like that's not something I even like can, can contextualize. I guess yeah, it's just not something I even think about. You know? Yeah. Like uh, the truth, the truth is just like how I'm living. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't feel like I'm necessarily like straying from that. You know. Like, I might make wrong decisions. I might make decisions that go against my core values, which I would differentiate from, like, my truth, you know? Yeah. Um, I just, I think, like, judging yourself for what, like, what you do on a daily basis. And I, I just think that the actions that I, that I do on a daily basis, I think those are my truth. And mm-hmm. I think you got to own it. And maybe you, maybe you don't think that that truth is good enough, so then you improve mm-hmm. it, and then that's your new truth, but. So truth can truth can your true personal truth can change. Oh, it's always changing. There's not one truth. Okay. Yeah. Do you think do you think it like is all in the kind of like the same sphere or is it kind of like a growth where you're changing into a completely different person? Well, I mean, I, I think it could be growth. I think it could be um, both. I think it could be the opposite of growth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Um, depending on depending on the actions you take. I don't feel like we're always getting closer to our truths, you know? Right. Um, I think that we try, and our, our truth is evolving. So mm-hmm. even if you sit and do nothing, you you might be further or closer to your truth. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So what what does, um whenever you're in these, you define yourself as spontaneous earlier. Whenever you're in spontaneous moments, how do you define your truth then? Because, let's say, and let's say you're even in an altered state. Obviously, how old are you? 20. Okay, yeah, so neither of us ever participate in altered states. No. But, hypothetically, if you were in an altered state, and you were in a, a, a strange situation, how, how do you, how do you, know, how do you, like, 
process reality because I'm, a, I'm someone who doesn't like, I, I'm a huge fan of dreaming and I'm a huge fan of experiencing like having my, having my fighter jet referenced to earlier, having my fighter jet go through different experiences, whether that be in a dream or whether that be in real life or whether that be in real life, but with some altered state. So how do you, how do you know what is real within those states? And this for me is inc- like, I don't have an answer to this because I have incredibly, I have an incredibly hard time finding it because in dreams, I know that I can just be in a dream and absorb it and not realize that I'm in a dream. I mean, I, I had, I had a moment in, in a dream the, a couple months ago when I asked, Hey, um, it was, it was like a sign that said, um, University of Michigan via University of Wisconsin Madison, and um, I asked to do it in the dream. I was like, "Hey, uh, that doesn't make that much sense. Uh, what's that about?" And then I just like completely blanked on it and didn't even think about it. So like, oh hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, but like to have to have those kind of weird ideas. How, how do you know what is the in the truth in that moment? Because I just accepted that fact that I was at the University of Michigan via Wisconsin-Madison. And obviously, that's not a real place. That should never happen. What the fuck? Oh, now I have to make it explicit. Um, but <laughs> It's just one. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how, do you, how do you personally decide? Because, uh, I mean, even in altered states, hypothetically, um, like... I can't tell whenever whenever I'm being like paranoid or if if I was to be paranoid or if like I I just uh, or if it's reality, you know. And for me, I think I think this is an answer that I would fully respect saying I don't know because I personally don't know. You know, I think I think in those altered states it's just it's something that for me I would just I would try to avoid being in those states because I know for a fact mm-hmm. that whatever state my brain is when I like if I'm in a dream you know like yeah. that's it's not the same state as my like decision making brain and full like which is fully active I mean right whether that's well, well, like whether that's like being sleepy when I wake up like yeah I know for a fact that I would like would rather have like my regular brain making <laughs> yeah. that decision you know um but sometimes as far as like experiencing different things goes um I think that, I think that I, I always try to be a rational decision maker. Mm -hmm. So even if I'm trying to seek out these like fun, spontaneous opportunities, it's like, I I never want to put myself in a position where I'm doing something where I would, my, like myself, like that's my brain's fully active would just be like, Hey, I I would never do that. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to put myself in those positions. So I could never see myself doing it. If I could be like, okay, maybe I would do that. That sounds mm-hmm. kind of fun. Then well, so I would do it. You know. What uh, what 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 happens then? And do you, do you remember your dreams often? I would say that I remember them for a split second and then instantly forget them. Okay. So, but can can you like talk th- you through themselves? Like whenever you immediately wake up, then forget them later in the day, or is it more like a a reminiscent memory in the back that kind of fades? I mean, it depends because I, I, I can think about, I would say in recent years, it's been more of like that reminiscent fading memory. Gotcha. But I mean, in the past, like I can recall dreams that I had when I was probably like mm-hmm. seven or eight, you know, like gotcha. those were probably the most like just horrifying, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I horrifying gotcha. dreams ever. 
Gotcha. I don't remember. I remember the nightmares. I don't remember the the good ones. The fun dreams, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely this. Do you have a, do you have a scariest dream? To kind of to sorry to stray off track and um, uh, but do do you have a scariest dream that you remember? Oh goodness! <laughs> or or this or is pretty tragic. Or, or I maybe have to say. or maybe one. Um, so I had this dream, which was, uh, I was on like a I was on like an island. And my family had been abducted by pirates. Mm-hmm. And then in this dream, like my entire family gets murdered, and then I'm like, I like survive and start like running away into the water, and then I wake up. Oh, so that one's pretty scary. And there's okay. another one mm-hmm. where I'm in this giant soccer stadium, mm-hmm. and I'm playing. I, I'm I think I'm on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no no no! Here's this. Here's this. Okay, so. My my mom and I walk in late to the soccer game in this massive stadium, <laughs> mm-hmm. and somehow like the stadium starts flooding, like it just starts flooding, like Fill water gushing water. in okay. from everywhere. And like because I'm late, like I'm able to like escape the flood mm-hmm. and just like get out and like get in the car and start driving away. Gotcha. And then I wake up, mm-hmm. and like so so that's interesting, right? So we look at both of those dreams, and you kind of see a pattern of like kind of running. I survive both of the dreams. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's the pattern. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And right. and the people around me don't, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I kind of think that points to being an individual, I would say. You or could like, say that. I mean, one of my other dudes is just like kind of preposterous is just this. It's like, it's like it happens only when I'm like falling asleep. It used to happen to me. I would, mm-hmm. I would be like looking up at the ceiling and everything just like zooms out. Like it just like completely zooms out. And all I, I'm just like. Like a tiny speck, just in this massive, like everything Room? zooms out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually, I get that feeling too. When Which I, I think is vertigo, right? I, mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't know what it is, but I totally remember that feeling whenever I, I would be laying in bed and then I would yeah. just like see like everything would be huge. Yeah. I don't know why. And it'd but, be scary. Like yeah. I would actually freak out about that. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. I had a my my two my two highlight dreams, um, two old ones and one recent one. One. uh I was like sleep, you know, like whenever you have your uh, bed made very nicely and like mm-hmm. you don't want to mess it up. Yeah. So then you go lay in bed and like sleep perfectly. Um, I had that happen, but I had like, you know, where you like kind of fold your covers back. It was right over my neck. And um, so in the dream, I like I, the dream started and like I like dead like second grade friends around me. And there were like scaly legs, scaly legs. And it was like an alien like choking me. Um, and then I woke up and like the covers were choking me. That tripped me out. The other really scary one was... Um, I was in like what I thought was the Pittsburgh airport in like a cir- kind of circular terminal. And in the center was this planet that had like was like glowing yellow and had purple rings. And like I ran to go see it around and its mouth was like opening really weird. And that like freaked me out. And then um, recently uh, a slightly scary one is I was just in my home and there's gigantic like uh, like like woman outside just running and trying to break into like uh like my family's house and we were just like scared um so that was a little scary but (laughs) kind of weird but um kind of kind of trying to tie back in the purpose the purpose of uh talking about those truths was and to kind of wrap up a little bit was burning emu burning emu what what was burning emu for you i would say I would say Burning Emu was quite the culmination of spontaneity. You know? Right, right. Um, all right, so I I happened to uh, go help 
my friend out with moving out of his apartment. Uh-huh. And as I'm walking back to my apartment, I see Michael standing there, <laughs> standing there outside of outside of the Beta Fraternity House. And mm-hmm. I walk over and strike up a conversation, and he tells me about this thing called Burning Emu, mm-hmm. knowing nothing about it. And uh, I said, you know, if he found out more information, then I'd probably go. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to go. Um, and it was out, it was out a little bit in the boonies, <laughs> boonies of around Charlottesville. So it doesn't take very long to get there. And but it was pretty, it was pretty it out was a, there. It yeah, was like, a pretty drive. Um, and we show up and a bunch of people I've never met before. And I knew that. I was just like, all right, I'm going here. I only know Michael and Michael knows one guy. <laughs> it worked out great. But, but I guess if you just do the, the whole contact tracing, yeah. I know everybody at the party. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we get there and, um, the first thing we see is this wooden emu. <laughs> It's huge. Um, what would you say, like 25 I, feet tall? I was saying like 30, 40. Okay. I think it was big. Like, I mean, like there are like six by fours making up its eyes. <laughs> that was so big, like, yeah, okay, I'll give you 30 feet. That was pretty big. Um, yeah, so big wooden emu statue. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice little antique modern house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, band set up. And with risers mm-hmm. and a uh, really cool barbecue, yeah, setup, yeah. yeah. And it was a it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, great band was there, um, Bull Moose Party, mm-hmm. uh, which I had I had heard play before, but Michael didn't because mm-hmm. they they graduated before he got to UVA and. Um, yeah, it was quite the night. Mm-hmm. So so I referenced that because I wanted to say. In that moment, were you not uh, not a little bit like, what's going on here? Because um, I'm I'm seeing a gigantic wooden emu burn in the background, and then this uh, band is playing absurdly good music in front of me, and like I didn't think I would be here tonight. Did did that did that rub against your truth? Did it rub against my truth? Yeah. Did that did that kind of, um, like, that did that situation go like? For me, it was like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on? This isn't what normal life is. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. So did that? Did that like? I for me, it doesn't. Doesn't that didn't make me uncomfortable? Did does it? Does it make you ever slightly uncomfortable to be in a situation like that? I I typically go with situations like that only make me uncomfortable until I, until I've been experiencing them for a little while. So. Gotcha. You know, maybe walking up there and not knowing anybody, maybe that was uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like, maybe even, like, five minutes in, I was already comfortable, yeah. you know? Yeah, And I think, like, getting past that initial barrier of mm-hmm. being uncomfortable for a lot of things is just so essential. Right. And I, I do think I've been able to experience a lot of cool things, and obviously I'd hope to experience more. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't. I don't think those experiencing those cool things is possible unless you kind of accept being uncomfortable. And I think that the things that are cool and are interesting are the things that you haven't necessarily done before. Right. And I think that that's. I think that's part of just like even, like part of everything I do is just seeking out things that are just kind of out there. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Even I, even like my major, it's mm-hmm. kind of out there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that that is that is part of your truth is being like, try new things and kind of being out there totally mm-hmm. so um to kind of to kind of review and wrap up 
um, you, everyone should try and be a, a little, little spontaneous and try and try and see where their personal truths can grow. Thank you so much, Jasper, for uh, being on this episode. This was the first episode recorded in a column, so we'll see how many uh, we get on in here. But uh, thank you so much for coming. Hope you had a nice day, and uh, thank you all for listening.